If we could get to heaven by good works, by just doing good things, then Jesus should not have had to die and would not have had to die. I mean, if we could get to heaven on our own by just doing good things or meeting the standard, then Jesus shouldn't have had to die. If it takes Jesus' death plus me doing some good things in order to get to heaven, it shows us that Jesus' death is not really sufficient. That I've got to help him a little bit. That in order for Jesus' death to really count, then I'm going to have to do some good things to give that extra boost in order for me to get to heaven. But neither of those things are shown or shared in Scripture at all. The Bible makes it very clear that Jesus Christ is the only way that we can get to heaven or be saved. And that is by his grace and through our faith. And as we think about faith, that's what God wants us to have. He wants us to have a faith that ultimately brings him glory. So take your Bibles this morning and turn me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. We're going to pick up together in verse number 18. Romans chapter 4 and verse number 18. As we're thinking about living for God's glory and how faith and living with faith brings glory to God. In verse number 18, we're kind of picking up kind of midway, but he's talking, he believed, and he's talking about Abraham here. So notice what it says. Abraham believed, hoping against hope so that he may become the father of many nations. According to what he had spoken, so you, so will your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead since he was about a hundred years old, and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to do. Therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And with that, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word and your truth. And Lord, help us to live for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. We are thinking about, as we began this year, of living for God's glory. Not living to please self, but ultimately living to bring glory to God and to show his majesty and his power and his grace through our lives. So we are living for him. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything to the glory of God. No matter what we do, if we're going to work or we're going to school or we're hanging out at home or we're in the neighborhood or we're eating out this afternoon at the restaurant and things may be a little slow. Listen, remember everything you do, you are doing to the glory of God. 
Now that includes everything. Going to work, school, everything. Everything that we do. He picks the mundane things like eating and drinking. We all do that. We all eat. We all drink. We we have dinner every night and breakfast usually in the morning and lunch sometimes fits in there. So whenever you just sit down and eat and drink, whatever you do, you're to do it for God's glory. But the scripture also gives us specific things that we can do to the glory of God. In Philippians 2, 9 through 11, it tells us that because Jesus humbled himself and became obedient unto death, that God gave Jesus the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, when we profess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory, we do that to the glory of God the Father. So we know that when we profess Jesus as Lord, that that brings God glory. And one day, every knee will bow of things in heaven, things on earth, and things under the earth. Now he calls us to do that. And to his glory, we bow our knee and we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. Well, in Romans chapter 4, verse number 20, it tells us that Abraham was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. So he shows us here that it is by faith that he brings and brought glory to God. And that challenge is for us today. That we are to bring glory to God by living a life of faith. So, understand that this was not just written for Abraham. Matter of fact, as we close out Romans 4, Paul makes it very clear that this wasn't just written for Abraham, but it's written for you. That you'll be a man or woman, a student of faith. So as we think about faith, I want us to think about three headings on that and look at this section in Romans chapter 4. But we're going to kind of go back and survey up to this point in Romans 4 as well. First off, I want us to think about this. The importance of faith in Romans. The importance of faith in Romans. As we look at the book of Romans, it really emphasizes in these opening chapters the issue of faith. And specifically talking about how salvation is by faith. It's not worth works plus faith. It's not my works alone. It truly comes to a point of faith alone. And in Romans 1, 1 to 17, we find this really kind of theological introduction to the book of Romans. But this theological introduction is just filled with this awesome truth in it. But it brings us to the point that Paul is really trying to drive home. That the importance of faith in Romans is true because all people first are unrighteous. All people are unrighteous. All of us are sinners. Romans chapter 1 verse number 18 begins to share, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all wickedness of men who suppress the truth in their ungodliness. What he's talking about in Romans 1 18 through the end of Romans 1 is that all Gentiles are sinners. All Gentiles are sinners. And then he begins in Romans 2, and he talks about how all Jews are sinners. How all of us have fallen short of God's plan. We have missed God's perfect mark, and therefore we are ultimately disqualified from a perfect heaven with a holy God. He's lumping us all together and says, all Gentiles and all Jews, those who are of the line of Abraham, have an issue with sin. He really brings it home in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 9, where he says, look, 
When we think about the Jews and the Gentiles, in verse number 10, he says, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. The picture is, is that all of us in our lost condition are unrighteous, and we not only are separated from God, but we are not even that interested in God on our own. So Paul is driving this home, that all people are sinners and unrighteous. Then Paul is going to really lay it out in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 20, where he says this, For no one will be justified or in a right standing in his sight by the works of the law because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. If you think you can get to heaven by following the law, the law does this. It convicts you, it brings conviction, but it can never bring salvation. It can show you where you mess up, but it can't help you get to God, ultimately, is what he's saying. So... All people are unrighteous. If Romans 3 ended right there at verse number 20, it would be the saddest book in all of the Bible. But can I tell you, it doesn't. And that's good. That's especially good for us. Because it ultimately tells us that righteousness then comes by faith. Righteousness, a right standing with God, a right relationship with God, comes by faith. Pick up in Romans 3.21. But now, apart from the law, Romans 3.21 and 22. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. He basically says it doesn't make any difference if you're a Jew or a Gentile. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. Notice down in verse number 26. And we've got to skip over some good verses here. Romans 3.23 tells us all of sin and how we can be justified freely by grace. But notice in verse 26. God presented him, Jesus, to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. Now notice he's talking about faith. Then notice Romans 3.28. For we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. What is Paul driving home here? Paul is driving home the fact that all of us have sin and that the only way that we can become righteous is through Faith. God extending his grace to us and us by faith saying, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and rose again. He is the sacrifice and I trust him alone. I've shared this illustration many times, but this drives this home again. The Bible pictures, when I come to a place of salvation, what happens in my life is this. That God takes, if, if, if my life is all written out in a Word document, God takes all of the sin of my life and highlights it and hits the word copy, or I mean the word cut, and he hits the word cut, so it leaves and leaves my Word document, and then it goes to the cross And the Lord hits paste. So that all of my sinfulness 
and all the sins I've ever committed, and ultimately all the sins I ever will commit, are on this document that is cut from my life and pasted at the cross at the moment of salvation. But that's not where it ends. What God then does is he takes all of the righteousness of Jesus... And he hits copy on that, and he takes all of that righteousness, and then pastes that onto my account. That's what is credited to us as righteousness. It is not that we get credit for being good, it's that all of Christ's righteousness, after it has been copied and now pasted onto our life, God looks at us, and we are in a right relationship. You're going to find the word justice. And the word justified means just as if I'd never sinned. But it means more than that. It's not that God just gives me a clean slate. It's that God takes all of the righteousness of Jesus and puts that onto my account. Listen, that transaction happens by faith. It does not happen by being good, doing good, serving, joining, being baptized, being sprinkled, confirmed, dedicated. None of that. The only way that happens is when I humble myself and call out to the Lord for salvation. And that is what Paul is driving home in Romans. That salvation is not by faith. And can I tell you, it doesn't make any difference what denomination you are or how often you go or whatever you're doing in your church world. The most important decision is what have you done with Jesus personally? The importance of faith. Righteousness comes through faith. A right standing with God comes through faith. So we see ultimately the importance of faith is this. This is the only way that I can be saved. This is the only way that I can be righteous. This is the only way that I'll make it to heaven. But not only do we see the, the, the importance of faith in Romans, but secondly, we see the example of Abraham living by faith. As we think about Abraham's example and his, uh, of, of, of his faith, notice what we find. Scripture makes it really, really clear that Abraham was not saved by doing good by works, by circumstance. He was not saved by any act. He was saved by faith. Notice in Romans chapter 4 and verse number 2, it says, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But notice Romans chapter 4 and verse number 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him, who declares the ungodly to be righteous, his faith is credited for righteousness. In other words, if I have a part in my salvation, then God owes me. And the picture is, is he's saying, look, it's not about God owing you anything. That salvation comes through faith. And Abraham was justified by faith alone, not by works. Now, the two key characters in the Old Testament scriptures that the Jews looked upon, Abraham and David. And you'll find both of these guys mentioned in Romans 4. We're focusing on Abraham. But the Bible clearly makes it outstandingly simple in this truth. 
Abraham was not saved by works. Abraham did not get in a right relationship with God through doing stuff, through joining, through serving, through sacrificing, through waiting. No, he was saved one way. Because he believed. He was saved by faith. Many of you are familiar with Kenny Rogers, the singer. Uh, this probably most famous song is The Gambler. And uh, Through the Years and all those other songs that are, that are there. Some of you folks who especially like country music. But they play that on all kinds of different stations. But in 1999, he, he sang a song called The Greatest. And it's an interesting song because it talks about... A little boy who takes his ball and bat and goes out to the field and he's going he's gonna to hit this ball and pretend that he has won the game. And he's the greatest. He's telling himself and singing to himself that he's the greatest as he goes out. And the, the lyrics goes like this. And the ball goes up, throws it up. And the ball comes down. He swings his bat all the way around. The world's so still you can hear the sound. The baseball falls to the ground. He swung and missed. And it goes through the next verse and he swings and misses. And it goes through the next verse and he swings and misses again. Now it's the last verse. Now it's supper time and his mama calls. Little boy starts home with his bat and ball. Says, I am the greatest, that is a fact. But even I didn't know I could pitch like that. (laughs) You see, he had this idea, man, I'm going to go up there and and out of my pride, I'm going to hit the ball. And he couldn't do that. And so now he's the greatest pitcher. See, the truth of the matter is this, that if Abraham could have saved himself, he would have found a reason to brag about it. That's what Romans 4, 2 is all about. Abraham would have had a reason to boast, and you would too. If you could save yourself and do something that was deserving of heaven, what you would say was, man, I was good enough. Man, I studied enough. Man, I gave enough. Man, I sang enough or played enough. Man, I taught enough. I did all these good things. We would have something to boast about about but God is saying I'm wiping the slate clean and no one has reason to boast it is through faith alone Paul makes it very clear that Abraham was justified in in a right relationship with God through faith but not only do we see that but but as we look at Abraham in his life he received a promise by faith Notice, he received God's promise by faith. Notice down all the way to verse number 16 in Romans 4. It says, this is why the promise is by faith. This is the promise that he's going to have descendants. So that it may be according to grace to guarantee it to all the descendants. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of Abraham's faith. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He is our father in God's sight, in whom Abraham believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. Abraham received a promise. Abraham, you're going to have children. You're going to have children as numerous as the sands of the sea and the stars in the sky. But Abraham is 75 years old when he receives this promise. And as he has received this promise at age 75 years old, 
75, 76, 80, 85, 90. It all rolls through. And there's no baby. Abraham has received this promise. God, you promised. God, you you told us what you were going to do. God, I... And it tells us he was living by faith. He's living by faith. In verse number 17, boy, I tell you, I've made you a father of many nations. And yet of these many nations, he can't see anything. But he holds on to faith. And we not only see that he was declared righteous by faith and received the promise by faith, but that he glorified God by faith. Because notice what it says in verse number 19. It says, he believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations. According to what has been spoken, so will your descendants be. Verse 19, he did not see, did not... He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to do. Abraham waits, listen, Abraham waits, but he doesn't waver in faith. Did you realize that Abraham had to show this tremendous spiritual patience? We know from 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. But can I tell you what else is patient? Faith. And Abraham demonstrates that. That he did not waver in unbelief. He trusted God all the way through this. His faith was not perfect. But his faith was consistent. And the overall marking of Abraham's life was a life of faith. And when God was working in his heart and life and strengthening his faith, God was getting the glory. Some of you, God may have in a holding pattern right now. And you're not exactly where you want to be. You're not doing what you thought you would be doing at this time in your life. You thought you'd be down the road. You thought this would happen. You had dreams of that and it hasn't come to pass. And it could be that sometimes God just doesn't work on our timetable. It could be that God is just saying, look, the most important thing that you can do right now is not work, but wait. That the most spiritual, the greatest spiritual challenge of your life is not to get up and get going, but to be still and be waiting. What's going on in your life? Are there areas of your life that you feel very impatient about? Are there areas of your life that this impatience is rising up and causing anxiety because you thought this would happen and this would happen and it's not happened yet? And through this time of patience, it's easy to get distracted and easy to get discouraged. And instead, Abraham is strengthened in his faith. Notice Romans 4.21 may be, it may be the greatest definition of faith in scripture. Notice 
he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to do. You know what faith is? It's saying what God promised, God can do, and I'm with God. That's it. That's it. It's not about me, my life, my timetable, my expectations, my desires, my dreams. It's about God working in his time and working in my life and teaching me what he wants to teach me along the way. And that's the faith that glorifies God. And when we get in a hurry and when we act impatiently and when we begin to move ahead of God, when God wants us to wait, listen, those are the times of mistake. So today, does God have you in kind of a circle in the airport kind of a, kind of a place? Not able to bring this baby down. You're not even sure if you're at the right destination yet, maybe. Wait on God. Be strengthened in your faith because God is able to do what he says he can do. Faith. Man, it is, it is front and center in the book of Romans in the example of faith, the, the faith of Abraham that he is justified by faith, but he wants to glorify God in his life by faith, and so he believes God against all hope. Now listen, he's a hundred years and he knows his body is old and dead, and that Sarah at 75, it's not time for babies. And yet they believed. And they still came together in marriage so that they would conceive. They trusted God. See, God had made the promise. And though Sarah probably month after month for 25 years felt the sense of discouragement and maybe despair. They believe God. And God calls us to wait, to trust. He's able to do what he promised. But thirdly, we find that Abraham, as his example, as great as it is, it's not written just for us. Notice notice in verse number 24, verse 23, This credited, the righteousness was credited to him. But notice verse 23. Now it was credited to him was not written for Abraham alone. So what we find thirdly is there is an application of faith for us. That this passage is saying, this passage, this is, this is not just an Old Testament story about Abraham. This is, this is not just a, an Old Testament picture and, and story of the life of Abraham. But instead, this has something for us today. In the here and now, God has written this for us. For us together as we open this passage. And here it is. As you read this passage, notice there is the call. There is a call to faith. Notice what it says. It was written, not for Abraham alone, but for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. It will be credited to us who believe. There's a call to faith. Believe. Some of you need to believe for salvation today. 
You're trusting your mama's faith, your daddy's faith, your grandpa was a, a, a Baptist preacher, Methodist circuit riding preacher, whatever. You're trusting something like that. And you've never made your, first, your faith personal. Or you've trusted the baptism, or you've trusted the membership, or you've trusted serving. And now you're wondering, what would people think, man? I mean, I've been here for a long time. What would people think if, if, if I really feel like I've done all this stuff with God around me, but I really haven't had God in me? There's a call to faith today. And then there is a credit for that faith. And that credit is this. There's a credit for faith. It was credited to him, not only for him, but it was written for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead. He was delivered for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Credited, that word is used in verse 3, verse 5 and 6, verse 9 through 11, verse 22, verse 23, verse 24. Ever watch late night TV? Do you have bad credit? Can I tell you, I will lovingly tell you, you all got bad credit. Spiritually. And now you can choose to stand in front of God in one of two ways. One, you can stand before God on your own, with your own credit. And it may be that God just brings Jesus up and then you have to compare your life to Jesus. Were you perfect like Jesus? Mm, I'm afraid I missed that. Well, then you're not allowed in. God may play comparison. Are you as good as Jesus? Have you acted just like Jesus? You haven't? You're disqualified. But I don't want comparison with Jesus. You know what I want? I want the credit of Jesus. And the credit of Jesus says, all of his righteousness can get credited on my account. When I say yes to Jesus alone, by faith, receiving his love and without anything that I bring to the table except a sinful life. How about you? Where are you at? Do you know that you know Jesus? Are you trusting Jesus plus works? Are you trusting, I think I can make it on my own. I will tell you. You don't want to be compared to Jesus. Instead, by faith, you want the credit of Jesus. With that, let's pray. Today, some of you may the Lord's calling to salvation. And as he's calling you to salvation, he's saying, look, you've got to trust my son alone. My son alone as the only way. If you've never done that, Pastor Jerry will be in front, I'll be in the front in just a moment. And we'd love to share with you how you can know that you know Jesus. Some of you today are here and you have taken that step of faith in salvation. And here's the interesting fact. You have trusted the Lord for your absolute eternity. But there's something in your life that you won't trust him for right here in time on earth right now. I mean, you're trusting him to take care of you for all eternity. Millions and billions and billions and billions of years. But there's something that you're not having faith in right now. You're showing impatience and and Lord's speaking to you. And maybe he's saying to you today, renew your faith. 
Get your eyes off self. Take a breath. Be still and know that I am God. And be patient. Lord, I pray that you take these next moments of reflection and invitation, God, that you would move for your honor and glory, that people would be drawn to you, and that faith would be the victory today. In your name, amen.